This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Welcome to Flashpoint, the Fire Inside podcast. Featuring leadership and team building principles designed to ignite your inner fire and help you reach your full potential. On our program, you will learn from professional athletes, military and business experts, inspirational figures, leaders in the fire service, and other top achievers who have reached the pinnacle of success in their chosen fields. And now your host, international speaker and best-selling author, Frank Viscuso. So anyone that listens to the show knows that uh, one of the things I do is, is uh, I talk to people I love talking to, and uh, I love talking to this next gentleman. Before I get into it, I just have to do some of uh, some of the necessities here. First, I want to thank everybody. Today, Step Up and Lead this morning actually hit 100,000 followers. So I appreciate everybody for that. And uh, over the next three weeks, I guess, my next four speaking engagements are going to be Pensacola Beach, Florida on uh, May 16th, followed by Prattville, Alabama on the 23rd and 24th, uh, Elkton, uh, Maryland on uh, on the 1st of next month. And then from the 5th to the 8th, I'll be at Montclair, New Jersey, talking to members of their department, as well as Orange, East Orange, um, and Bloomfield, who I spent a lot of time working with them. Uh, all that out of the way, I want to say I'm excited. This is episode 34. My good friend Jason Hubbleman is on. Uh, he's a chief out in Missouri, and I can tell you right now, uh, I love what he's all about. He's a great friend. Let me just start right there by saying, Jason, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Frank. Man, man, it's awesome because I know we have some great conversations that uh, I wish people can hear. So I'm hoping that this leads into one like that. We've spoken at conferences. We bump into each other. We've even done the panels uh, where uh, after our conference, we sit down and let people do q a which i want to talk about that in a little bit okay um, but first i want to start with this uh you set a high standard for yourself am i right yes i try to i, I make every attempt to yeah yeah I, I mean i've seen that from you and i appreciate that about you one of the things that i 
had just read yesterday, and this is why I asked that question, was this. You have to stop expecting you from other people. Yeah. And when I heard that, I thought, man, I mean, I do a lot of talk about micromanaging. So do you about not being a micromanager. But when I heard that, stop expecting you from other people. I thought, I wish I learned that 15 years ago because people do disappoint you. You set an expectation for yourself. You reach this expectation. You're wondering why other people around you don't set a similar expectation or reach the expectation you set for them. Have you had issues like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, especially when I was a younger officer and a training officer and you're you're gung ho and you're you know, you've got all these dreams and, and things you want to do. And you um, you go to conferences like FDIC and and the, the there weren't as many small conferences around back then as there is today. But um, and, you, and you read the books and you watch you know, the people you grew up with idolizing the fire service and they're into it. Right. And, and that's where we keep where you got to be into it, got to be into it. And you do. But what I learned was that um, not everybody is going to be, quote unquote, that one percenter. Not everybody's going to be even a 10 percenter. Um, some people are going to literally do exactly what you tell them to. They're going to do exactly what the the minimum standard is. And whether we like that or not, we try to we try to propel them past that. We try to get them to push themselves. But the reality of it is that um, not everybody's going to love the job as much as we do. Not everybody's going to have the same level of passion that we do. And so, you know, we I learned a valuable lesson reading a little bit about John Wooden and a guy named Swin Nader. And I, I won't get too deep into that, but he was the backup to Bill Walton at UCLA. Uh, ended up he, he his role although he was really good and could have started just about anywhere in the country, but his role, John Wooden brought him in to push Bill Wall. And Swen became uh, at that time, the first, uh, first round draft pick in the NBA to never start a division one game. And so some other things, what I've learned is everybody has a role and find a role that they're going to exceed and excel in and that they're comfortable in and that they're still, you know, that they're happy, they got to be happy too. I mean, you don't capitulate everything, but it's just not a black, it's not as black and white as we seem to try to make it sometimes in the fire service when it relates to um, the passion and, and, and the job. We would love everybody to be as passionate as some of us are and, and love the job and be as into it as what all of us are, but it's a big fire service. And it's a, there's a, there's a lot of different personalities and characters that, that uh, fill it. And I think as officers, it's our job to number one, realize that uh, the same way with my kids, they're they're not all going to be firefighters and they're not all going to excel the things I did as a kid. And to expect everybody that I work with to do that as well is probably not realistic. Yeah. And it's interesting because you have uh, you're raising um, multiple children like I am. And I can tell you, I raised I raised pretty much I mean, all three of my boys. I mean, Thomas is my stepson, so I met him, uh, you know, when he was uh, or after he was already born. But I've raised all three of my boys the same way, but they're three completely different personalities. So it, it's crazy for me to think that if we raise our children the same way and they're completely different in their attitude, their effort, um, the way they handle adversity, uh, their, their strengths, their weaknesses, what would make us think that if we're working with somebody on a 24 hour shift, for three years that we can mold them into exactly what we want them to be. We can mold them uh, in the direction we want right. them to go in. But ultimately they're going to say, Hey, you know what? That that's, this is me. This isn't me. 
and they're going to choose themselves. Because what, what I want to talk to you a lot about here is is mentoring. So this is kind of a good lead in. Yeah. But um, uh, first of all, I didn't mention this when I introduced you, but you wrote the book, No Exceptions Leadership, the Leadership yeah. uh, Handbook. So you're a great person to talk to about this. The book itself offers um, uh, managers, officers, leaders, aspiring members, nuggets and tips to navigate through the choppy waters that leaders and managers often deal with on a daily basis. Uh, the choppy, murky waters, I would like to call them these days. But um, when it comes to mentorship, uh, I want to get your thoughts on that. I mean, first of all, something that I wrote in Step Up and Lead was, all great fire departments have some form of a mentorship program. But when I wrote that, what I was referencing was some are formal mentorship programs. Very few actually have that. But many of them are informal mentorship programs. And I know you've had some experience with both. But let me start with you coming through. We could start with you just growing up in life and lead the fire service um, can you talk a little bit about who your mentors were and how you chose them? Yeah, coming up in the fire service uh, as a volunteer, I started as a junior firefighter in a small rural community and as a young teenager. And my mentors were were twofold. One was my cousin who uh, unfortunately passed away in 1991, but he's the one that got me into the fire service. But it was all those volunteers. It wasn't just one single one. You, I picked up something from just about everybody in there, both uh, how I wanted to to go about my business, how I didn't, and then vicariously through the authors uh, back then, before there were videos. And interestingly, like Bill Kramer, right from American Heat, and he did that Kramer versus Kramer stick at the end of the videos, yep. and and always like that. But you know, individual mentors. As I came up through the fire service, uh, a battalion chief I had at Webster Groves, who was that informal mentor, uh, R.J. Voss. Uh, name nobody's ever gonna unless you're from the St. Louis area you're not gonna know him but he uh, was an old navy guy and just uh, lived on a farm outside of work but he always he always had and did the right things he he was a guy that was at the very end of his career when I started in the mid-90s at Webster and uh, he he would do all of the practical skills evaluations every year that the firefighters did as a battalion chief every year and that was a, that was how he mentored and, and he would say things, he would um, just little things of reminders. It wasn't a sit down and, hey, here's where your career's going. What do you want to be? It was always those reminders that, that at that age you don't appreciate. Things like, hey, Hovelman, where's angst court? You know, and uh, what, what's what's at the end of that road? And people call that training. But for me, as a young firefighter, it was a, it was a mentoring because those things have stuck with me. Tools, doing tools. Uh, you know, sanding and oiling and and checking the handles and all those things were a part of what he he preached. And, and it was the epitome of doing the little things all the time. And that was probably one of my first true looking back. I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, one of my true mentors um, very early on. Um, and he was a lot of fun. And then as I moved into, you know, got further in my career and dare I say matured somewhat in my career, uh, you're more appreciative of those moments. And then you start to ask. Uh, you, hopefully you, you gain a little bit of. Um, uh, you're OK with being a little vulnerable and asking for people to give you honest feedback and to give you, hey, I don't know how to handle this. And the best mentors I had never solved that problem. They helped me walk to it. 
uh, they, they helped me answer it on my own. And so I've tried to instill those traits in myself when people come to me with problems. And, you know, uh, Jeff Johnson, retired chief out of Oregon, has been a very um, critical mentor for me. You, Frank, have been a mentor to me. And um, people that I reach out to, okay, when I, when I really need good, honest feedback and not validation necessarily, but feedback. And I think there's, there's difference between those two that, that they confuse when they talk about mentoring. Um, validation is good, but a true mentor isn't, that's not the goal. It's feedback. It's, it's true constructive feedback. And, um, and, and Jeff Johnson's done that for me. Bill Gustin operationally has done that for me, uh, when I was a company officer and a battalion chief. And, um, and I think as you move through your career, your needs change, your, your, your uh, trajectory changes, and you may have to change or add to your mentor group. I, you know, you said some cool things there and how Bill Gustin was a mentor operationally. And right. by the way, thank you for mentioning me. I feel the same way about you. And I think you know that I've learned a lot from you. I've taken your classes, read your book. And just the conversations we have, uh, one of the things that I take away from you is um, I don't know what's happening inside of you, but I've always seen a, a calm, controlled exterior. And I like that. Now, I've not seen you in high pressure situations. I've not been, you know, out in Florissant Valley when you guys had a five alarm. Um, but I can tell you that uh, what you talked about, again, with Bill Gustin specifically operationally is how you don't have to choose one mentor. You could have multiple mentors. I like the way this person does this. And I like the way this person commands on the fire ground. I like the way this person deals with people and builds them up. I really like the way this one, the knowledge base this one has and the way that they teach and instruct. And you take pieces of people. And I, and that's a great way to, to kind of create yourself, build yourself. And also what you talked about was... Um, uh, and I don't remember the words you used, but you said something like, you know, when, when you got a little bit uh, more, you know, older, more mature, yeah. and it, you can kind of, at some point, humble yourself to realize you don't have to have all the answers. So I think there's a point in our life, there's a transitional point where you go from, well, I maybe have to act like I am something I'm not. I have to portray myself to be something to wait. That's just a facade and it's a bunch of crap. This is who I am. This is what I know. And it's okay to say, I need help in this area. Yeah. Yeah, I got a and, great story about that. So when I was a training officer, I didn't have rank. I was just a training officer. And that was designed that way on purpose to get people to be the training officer, not for a position, but for to really do training in, in our department. And, and at the time I had, I might've been a captain at that point, but I had a couple opportunities outside of my organization that were attractive. And uh, again, what you, you align yourself with what you need at the time, right? And so I was like, what other training officers do I know that, you know, so Forrest Reader, so I called Forrest. And I said, hey man, I said, here's what I got going on. And I'll never forget, he didn't say a whole lot. And he said, do you need to go to those places? Do you need those opportunities? And it was like, oh, it was that simple. It was like, do you need it? And it was like, no, I don't. And I'm still where I'm at. And and I'm better, you know, now I'm the chief of the department and a lot of good things happen between that yeah. time and now. But it was that one simple thing and, and being able to, to have that network of 
like you said, those different needs. Uh, Forrest had been, you know, he, he'd been a training officer for years. He'd been a fire chief. And it was just that one simple question. Do you need it? And it was like, no, I don't. I need to start implementing that in my life right there. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, because you, you see something that looks appealing and you're like, hey, this could be good. But, you know, and I think I'm there, actually. I think I'm there in my life because I used to have a burning desire to want to. I just had this conversation with a friend of mine that I went to high school with. A burning desire to want to achieve something. A burning desire to want to uh, walk into a room and say, hey, there's Frank Viscuso, not for my ego, but he's doing something with his life. He's making a difference. He's not just kind of existing. And that has kind of transitioned from, well, I still have a burning desire, but I also have a piece of which I said, I'm like, well, I'm accomplishing the things that I do want to accomplish. I don't feel like I need to force it. Right. So let me just like, for example, when I when I write a book that I'm working on right now, I'm chipping away with it, on it just a little bit at a day because I know what I want it to be at the end. I don't want to rush it. I don't want to force it. It's going to take time. I can get this thing done in three months very easily. It'll probably take me six, seven, eight, nine months because I just want to do it on a pace that I'm more comfortable with. And that's a transition from the guy that was so impatient years ago. I get it. You know, and I, I see that in the fire service. I see that in life. People that are so impatient for their goals. And you know what happens when you're impatient to reach your goals? You end up quitting because you realize there's a struggle accomplished uh, or a struggle associated with accomplishment. And some people are saying, well, I didn't expect this struggle. And is it worth it? Maybe not. Instead of saying, oh, you know what? This is the difference between success and failure. The people that get through this achieve success, the people that quit keep bouncing from one thing to another to another. And unfortunately, I'm seeing this in the workplace in general. Like right now, I opened up my pool a couple of days ago. And every time I turn on my pump, I lose water. So it's telling me I have a leak somewhere. It's getting behind a liner. It's a mess. I'm trying to get this pool company to come back and help me resolve the issue. And I'm sitting there going, I don't know if they have enough workers. So now I'm thinking, who else can I call? Who else can I call? Because people jump from one thing to, and I want a professional. Right, one of the guys right. that came to open a pool, it was the third pool he's opened in his career. Oh. He did brand new. Yeah. And he was there with a guy that was a veteran. But now in the fire service, we get these, these young men and women that come in. I want them to know it's going to be a struggle. Because anything you do in life is going to be a struggle. I want them to know that there's going to, it's going to take some persistence. I want them to know that, yeah, you may say, I don't know if this is the right career for me. Everybody in every career says that at some yes. point. Yeah. But this is where mentoring comes in. A great mentorship program can do some awesome things for your department. It could educate, prepare new members, instill the right value, preserve history and traditions, help people get to where they need to be quicker, uh, establish some performance um, standards. But more importantly, what I think it does is it gets people involved. And when you get people in your team involved with helping to mentor uh, new members, um, that can help everybody. And I, I want your thoughts on that. Do you have a formal or informal mentorship program or techniques that you implement when you get new members or when you're trying to um, uh, prepare new officers? Yeah, we don't have a formal mentoring program. I, I 
there I wouldn't say it's a formal mentoring program we're working on uh shoring up and, and making a more ro robust development program but what does happen is in in one of the things I did when I became chief is all the new hire you know panels to do the interviews we have members that have one or two years on and we have members that have 30 years on and everything in between so that every demographic of our organization is represented in and who chooses the new hires. I don't sit in on any of the interviews. I don't make the final decision. Um, I have staff, obviously, that are involved in that, but it really puts ownership on everybody in the department uh, who we who we hire. So they're very particular, and they're, they do all the testing, and they do all of those things. And so it kind of starts with that. And then once, um, once those members are hired, they have a 40-hour orientation uh, before they do anything. And we have a member that does a uh, pride and ownership day, which they go through. They talk about the history of our department. They talk about the community. They talk about expectations of a member uh, with community. I was, uh, they, they have a, they have a nonprofit group. Our, our firefighters do it's called Florida firefighters community outreach. And they do a lot of great work, charity and, and different things that's separate from the fire district, but it's all of our people. And they talk about the expectation of being involved in that and, and just kind of goes through uh, how hard it's going to be here uh, because we are busy and the types of calls that we run. Uh, but and so we have that part and everybody um, gets assigned. We have a group of paramedics that all the new people get assigned to. So when they do the third person rides for two or three rotations or whatever it is, they're with those specific people. So it's not a formal mentoring, but it's still we're still putting people in positions to share uh, what they do well here. Um, some people really enjoy it, and that's who that's who we set up with those new employees. Others don't mind new employees, but they don't want that role, and so they fill some other role. Um, and so that that's kind of where it starts. And then we have a lot of we're really fortunate. The younger part of our department, which is probably at least a third or more, um, are really into it, and they're really it's really important to them to have a role. But and and then. You know, I go back to when I was a captain and talk about Bill Gustin as an operational mentor. And I we and we've seen it. You do a hands-on drill, and the most senior officer will say something like, Oh, hey, you guys do that. I'll sit back and watch. You guys, I, I don't want to take the time from you guys. And he gave me really good advice about that. And he said, be the be, as a captain, be the first one to do the evolution with the most junior member of the team. And and what ended up happening, ironically, was that I did that. And it gave it was a benefit for me because I got to see that person's skills and evolution um, and how comfortable they were firsthand. But what ended up happening after doing that a handful of times was uh, my my informal leaders on the crew wanted to be the first to go with that new junior member. And so then there was pride that, that came into that. But also I would be the officer, the first one to do the drill. I'd be the first one to mess up. Right. So I'm the first one that was going to make a mistake on a new drill or a new you know training evolution or whatever it was to kind of bring down the thing so and that has carried on in our organization with some some of our officers and we've got a really good uh, stock of, co of company officers that sit down and have those conversations like you're talking about hey you know we've got tracks hey maybe you just want to be a driver all right well here's what we're going to do we're going to make you the best driver engineer that you can be and so on and so forth. So it's not formal, but that's kind of how it presents itself. I think that's where it works the best because sometimes when, like when you get a new member in your organization and you say, all right, we're moving you into our formal mentorship program and this is your mentor, 
they may not even relate to that person. Yeah. Or that person may not want the assignment. We were informal too, but it was it was informal with a um, some sort of a structure. For example, I would sit down with the officers. If we have a new firefighter that's coming to station two, I'd sit down with the two officers there. Uh, if we and we would know something about the firefighter, we may not have met him, but we're getting information from at the academy. This is the type of firefighter it is. Here's why we're signing him to your shift. And we we would kind of determine who do we think we could assign as a mentor. And quite honestly, we could use the word coach. Who would we want to assign as a coach to this person? Now, the officers are responsible to make sure they get the training that they need. Every firefighter has to help. But one in particular, we will determine to be that mentor slash coach. And some of the things we look for, and you've heard me talk about this in, in a recent class, I'm sure, but but uh adequate to above average coaching skills, a strong work ethic, a positive attitude, someone who's committed to the organization, someone who has a good understanding of the job and the goals. Um, and when I go through the list of things we look for, I make it specific, by the way, when I'm teaching, but I make it specific to say this has nothing to do with most time on a job. Because as we like to say, there's a difference between someone with 12 years of experience for someone who experienced their first year 12 years in a row. Yeah. We're going to take somebody who really can help us move this person to where we want to go. And the idea is simple. Connect with them. We want you to connect with them. The officer is going to uh, organize drills. Firefighters are going to work with them. But at some point later that evening, pull them aside and say, hey, do you want to go over that piece of equipment again? Do you understand what the officer was talking about today? Um, do you have any questions, any concerns? And I can't tell you the amount of times when we implemented this semi-formal uh, version of a mentorship program. I can't tell you the amount of times at six, seven o'clock at night, I'd walk out of my office and on the apparatus floor, I'd see the firefighter that I assigned as the mentor and the new firefighter and maybe a group of them doing a drill on their own, sometimes recapping the drill that the officer uh, gave them earlier that day. The officer's nowhere in sight, by the way. They're upstairs doing reports or doing whatever they're doing. They're just taking the initiative to do that. And by the way, this is what I found works when I do see that type of behavior. To make sure I go out of my way, which is not really out of my way, but to make sure I acknowledge it. To say, hey, good job. I'm really proud of you. I love what you're doing right now. Maybe uh, give my two cents about that piece of equipment if they feel they need it. Ask them if they if I can help out. Uh, but it, it it's worked. Yeah, I found it to be work. And by the way, even as a coach, my son right now is a 12-year-old uh, baseball player, an all-star. Uh, he does really well. Uh, we have some kids on this team that have not gotten their first hit yet because it's a rec team before all-star season starts. And I told them, listen, be their biggest cheerleader, be their biggest helper, um, warm up with them at the beginning of practice. So you make them feel like they're a big part of the team. Wow, Nikki wants to warm up with me. And that's a form of mentorship. Yep. It's so subtle, but it's so important that we connect. And um, when you get a new firefighter, so you do a job interviews, you're the chief. I was a deputy chief. I would just get someone assigned to me. Yeah. Let's say you're in my situation. A captain, a battalion, a deputy chief, and you get a new firefighter assigned to you. As the chief, you already did the interview. You know what they're about. But when you get someone assigned to you on your shift, 
what type of expectations do you sit down and set with that person? Do you sit down and say, hey, welcome. I want to know a little bit about you. Here's what's expected of you. Or do you just let it go? They already did the interview. We got the person. What would your technique be? So there's two different things. So when I was a captain, uh, I did it different than when I was a battalion chief and obviously the chief. But when I was a captain and we got new members, and it might not even be a new a new hire. It might be someone from a different shift at the end of the year. And I would have a, a private sit down and just kind of, hey, welcome to the crew, especially with new hires in particular. And just, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself and all those kind of getting to know each other on a personal level. And then I would give them some basic expectations that I have as an officer, right? It's like, you know, we, there's no shortcuts here, uh, talking about how we check the trucks, pre prepare, make sure they're prepared, talking about their safety and how we're responsible for not only you, but your family to make sure that you are competent and effective and all those things. But then when it came to the the broader expectations of, of how we operate here, we did that as a crew. So we would sit down at the kitchen table and I would start the conversation, but ultimately what, did, what it would end up happening is people on the crew would go, oh yeah, and by the way, like something like the, the first day, you know, the truck, the truck crew does most of the cooking, the ambulance just needs to help clean up or, or, or what, or how, how house duties go. That would all be done as a crew so that everybody got to, to me that I felt like there was more buy-in if it wasn't just coming straight from the officer, it was coming from the collective group that works at that particular house on that day, who they're going to be part of the family now. Um, and, and that seemed to be uh, pretty effective for me. But it was always it always started with small things with the hey you wear your seatbelt always use a backer when it's a, it's those little things that new people get hung up on right it's all those those little details that seem so second nature to to most of us that you know hey you know you're always being recorded you're always you do all those things and then we would get into I got five basic expectations of all of our people that that we say it's like be generous be professional be productive be constructive and be aggressive and and those things all. We can we can go into great detail on on what that means, um, but those are the five basic things that I always talked about as a captain and as a battalion chief. And now uh, we just just met with my officers last week and we talked about that and how our priorities are community, organization, crew, and self, and what that means and how do we how do we embody that? How do what does that mean from day to day when you're making decisions and things are coming at you fast and you're running a lot of calls. Um, and, and so that, that's kind of how how we would do how I would do it. I don't know how our other officers do it. It's kind of left upon their own volition of how they want to introduce their new members and stuff. But I think most of them do something similar. Yeah. What were the five things again? It's uh, it's be professional, be generous, be productive, be constructive, and be aggressive. And when I when we talk about being aggressive, um, it's it's easy, in my opinion. We don't have a lot of problem with people crossing thresholds, uh, where where we don't see a lot of aggressiveness. And I tell the story of uh, running a lift assist, or we we call them an invalid assist. But being aggressive in everything in our mindset, not reckless, but but eager. You know, I've got these E's on my board in here, and they're it's be empowering, be energetic, be enthusiastic, be engaged, be empathetic, and show effort. And and I talk about that with my officers and my and my new hires. But we went we went to an invalid assist or assist a lift assist when I was a captain. And about halfway there, dispatch called and said, "Hey, the caller has called uh, back. They don't need you anymore. Family's on the way." And for our policy, we're within our right to turn around and go back to the station. It's not nothing keeping us from doing that. And 
um, one of my mentors talked about those kinds of calls and make it having an impact on the community um, outside of those emergencies. And so we went ahead and went onto the scene and it ended up and, and how many of those kinds of calls I've gone on where we've not checked blood pressures, we haven't checked pulses, we haven't checked, put them on a monitor, no, none of those things. Um, and, and after I had a I sat in a class and had a discussion about some of this several years ago, uh, that we went and the lady was still on the floor, her family was coming 30 minutes away, she ended up having a STEMI and went straight to the cath lab. And, and those are the examples of being aggressive that get lost that get forgotten and so we really hit hard on you know don't wait for october to come around and spend time with the community go up to fritz's frozen custard after you know after dinner and catch the kids coming back from their ball games in the summer and just milling around with the public and i've got a picture in one of my classes of who was an acting captain in my crew at the time and they were driving through a neighborhood and some kids were playing some street hockey and they stopped the truck and and jammed with them for a little bit that's aggressive and and that's an expectation in that in those five that's that's awesome and you know what that's example and mentorship is about setting the example sometimes you don't even realize that you could be the leader yeah. uh, of the of the team there, there's a scene in um in that uh that series about easy company um I can't remember the name of it right now. And it's bothering me that I actually brought it up and can't remember the name of it because I have it right upstairs. And some people are listening going, I, it's this, it's this, yeah, it's this. Yeah. But there's a scene where um, uh, they had uh, their their officer was someone that was well-respected. Uh, they all looked up to. They thought he was fantastic. And they had believed that um, they had the best officer of all companies. And then, of course, he gets promoted and he moves on. So now here comes a new officer. Nothing of what the first one was. And it was to a point where they thought, um, you know, we're, this is not a good situation for us. They didn't feel that this officer had their backs, was uh, was going to be side by side with them in battle, really cared much for them. And it was a long period of time, band of brothers. That's what it is, band of brothers. It was yeah. a long period of time where they were um, struggling. And then came a new officer. And when a new officer came in, came in with some stories, this guy's crazy. And so they're believing the stories, thinking it's about to get worse. Turned out to be a fantastic officer for Easy Company. And in the scene after this battle where this officer proved he's a good officer, um, one of the members of Easy Company said, hey, you know what? The men aren't concerned about the stories. We're just happy to have a good company officer again. Yeah. And his response to them is, well, from what I understand, they always had one. And they talk, he talked briefly about what a good officer does, how they're always there for the men, checking on their welfare, uh, answering, you know, and he goes through this list. And he says, you don't have any idea who I'm talking about, do you? He says, no, sir. He says, it's you. You are the person that held Easy Company together. And he didn't even know it. But it was his example, the example of being the person that was that mentor, that was that uh, that glue that that held things together when even he is thinking it's falling apart yeah. but sometimes you don't know the power of the example that you have on people uh, one time i sent a uh i don't i forgot i did it i was not um at work one particular day when we had a fire but one of the members we were training as a pump operator did a fantastic job and years later about four, three years later, four years later, 
at my retirement party, that firefighter went up to my wife and said, can I play you something? She said, sure. And he plays her a voicemail. I don't know what he's, she's listening to. It's on her phone. They, this is the first time they met, by the way. Yeah. But she's listening. And she says, wow. He says, yeah. He says, I listen to that at least once a month. And I said, what is it? He said, chief, it's a message you left me after I pumped my first job. And I remember, I remember what he was talking about because I was told by the officers, he did a great job. They called me up and said, man, he had a lot of challenges. They talked about the challenges and said he did a great job overcoming these challenges. And so I called him up to talk to him. He didn't pick up. So I left him a message and just said, I just want to let you know I'm proud of you. I heard you did a great job. I heard about the challenges, but that's a, a, a product of how hard you've been working. And I don't second guess for a second that you'll be an officer one day because of your work ethic, your attitude, your effort, and the fact that you Put this into everything. If you continue to work this the way that you became a pump operator as to being a great firefighter, you're going to be an officer and a great officer one day. And that was the message uh, using different words that I said to him. And I had no idea how impactful that was until years later. Yeah. And I find out once a month, he still listens to the message. And on that note, um, and it, you know, this happens to me when I teach, if I'm talking about something, oh, yeah. sometimes something will pop into my mind and I have to share it with people because I think maybe this can help people. I just heard this yesterday too, because I'm always listening to videos and 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 um, somebody said uh, that they were talking very negatively to themselves a lot. And they're adults. The person who was saying this is, a, is, a, is you know, an adult, very successful saying, I, I found myself talking negatively to myself a lot. And I was given the advice to take a picture of myself when I was young, five, six, seven years old, and hang it up on a wall somewhere where I would see it regularly. And anytime I find myself talking negatively, negatively about myself, look at that picture and say, what advice would you want to give this young person, you, your younger self? And would you want them having the, what you're saying to yourself, would you want someone saying that to that person? Right. Because you are that person. And I've been thinking about that because in my office right now, I have pictures of my boys that you can't see, but I have pictures of my boys when they're about six and seven years old, hanging up. I got pictures of them pitching. I got pictures of them <laughs> for school pictures. And part of what I do is I look at them and I think, you know, I have to, I'm responsible to build this person up. As a parent, I want to give my children everything they need to succeed, but also hold them accountable. Right. As a deputy chief, I felt the same way. I want to give them everything they can, they need to succeed, but I need to hold them accountable too. Because if you don't, they're going to, you're going to just lower the bar, lower the standard. Mm -hmm. um, I asked you earlier, about qualities you look for in a mentor. One of the conversations I love to have, I mean, a mentee, one of the conversations that I love to have with a new person when they come into our organization is about the word reliability. Because reliability is something that it can't be faked. You're either a reliable person or you're not. And so I explained to a couple of them, you know, the garbage in the station that you work in goes out Tuesday and Thursday nights. So every Tuesday and Thursday night that you're working, I want to know that I can rely on you 
to make sure that that garbage goes to the curb. Now, it's a small thing. It may not seem important, but to me, it's a huge thing. Because when I give you an assignment to vent, take out some windows and coordinate an attack, I need to know that you can carry out. I need to know you're reliable, that you're going to carry out that assignment. And one will follow the other. So I would have a conversation like that with them. And I found that they made a difference. Um, You talked even earlier about questions people ask you, conversations that people have. When he said, do you need this? When Forrest said that, who, yeah, by the way, yeah. I know Forrest. Uh, yeah. I don't know him as well as you do, but I know him. And he, man, what a great human being. Oh, yeah, he's great. But um, but I find value in questions. I think if you ask the right questions, it can lead to uh, to the right conversations, which could lead to the right answers. But but uh, do you have any experience with that, with, uh, with, with questions? I know that's an open Ended oh, yeah. question right there. Yeah. And and you you if you go back to that informal mentoring process, and I think that is probably one of the best ways to informally mentor people is that especially when you're an officer, uh, a big part of your job is people bring problems to you. They they bring questions, they bring, you know, they they bring self-doubt, they bring lack of comp, all those things they they may bring to you. And I've learned that one of the best ways to uh, not only help them find their way is to ask a lot of questions. Um, and even if you're in a group setting, like in meetings, um, I've I've learned over the years as I'm in my fifth year as fire chief, and I've learned a couple things uh, related to that is like if there's an email thread with multiple people on it, asking about a decision related to our organization, I try to be the last one to reply to that. Because once the chief makes a statement, everybody else will stop or or they'll just say, I agree, I agree, I agree. And then and so I've learned that. But and then if I'm in meetings, I try to do the same thing. I'll be the last one to offer my input about a problem. But on an individual letter, uh, level, I, I've got a couple people that have come in that I talk to frequently in my organization. And I try not to give answers. I try to avoid giving answers. Um, and sometimes they get it wrong, uh, but that's that resiliency that they have to have, right? That uh, if it's on one of those four quadrants, as long as it's low risk and low frequency or low risk, high frequency, you know, yeah. it's not going to damage anything. Let them, let them make the mistake and then go back and ask them, why do you think that happened? What would you do different? You know, is there anything that if you if you had some if you if this if the shoes were if the positions were flipped today, what would you tell me? Um, and and I and I've, I've I've done that quite a bit, and I find they get more. I feel like, um, and I could be wrong, but I feel like they get more out of those kinds of conversations with asking questions. It's funny because you talk about the pictures, and I've got those in my kids too. But also, you can't see, but I've got two screens here on my desk, and the reminders for me to do what we're just talking about is that there's there's four labels on each screen and they're they're the same and one says discernment the other one says patience the other one says listen hard and the fourth one says be measured and it's a reminder when people come into my office they're always going to be bringing me a burden and and I've come to accept that that's just what the job is and embrace it and uh, in my classes I sometimes talk about how we don't want anybody's stuff to burn but when we were on the floor, if it did, we wanted to be there. 
because we felt like our skills and our abilities and we were confident that we were going to be able to make a difference and do what we trained to do. And I think as officers, uh, we need to take that same approach with solving problems and dealing and, and dealing and mentoring people when they bring their challenges to us and not being exasperated. So those four things help me to listen hard and ask follow-up questions and not just solve problems for people when they walk in the door. And I think that served me well um, as someone who uh, who's a mentor to some people. Um, and it's also served me well in a reminder of what my responsibility is to our people. Um, and, and you will, you know, as well as I do, leadership's practice. It's, it's not, uh, it's, it's, it, you have to keep working at it. And, and uh, so being a mentor, I think is the same way, but I think you get a lot further and get a lot more from people and you help them grow more by asking a lot of questions, genuine, purposeful, relevant questions um, with, with meaning behind them. And then listen hard. I like that a lot. I yeah. like that. Yeah, I think it's one of the most underutilized um, leadership skills out there was is listening yeah. with the intentions of really understanding what the person's saying. Um, so I never really thought of it that way. The way that you said it is you've come to acknowledge and and realize that that's the job. People are going to bring burdens to you constantly when you're a chief or when you're leading an organization. Um, but let me ask you this. How do you disconnect now from that? Meaning you don't want to live your life carrying burdens of the fire department. So what do you do when you leave work to kind of disconnect, unplug and say, all right, I just need to get recentered, regrounded because I know you're all about your family, like I'm about my family. Uh, what are some of the things you do to relax and just kind of break away? Uh, I like to trail run. Um, I don't do it as often, but it, so and, and I'm getting to the age and my knees aren't what they used to be. So I, I walk. I like to walk. Um, I'm not I don't I like to play golf. Of course, I don't play as much as I can, but I love watching my kids do their thing. I love my youngest daughter does lacrosse and I love doing that and, and being with the other parents and watching the girls. You know what it's like. They're just silly. Uh, you're running around and my older daughter who's 17 and she's a junior in high school and it's not lost on me. I've got one more year with her in high school and listen to her and, and you know, we, and I've learned kind of going back to what Forrest Reader says, do I need this? Um, and I'm more willing to like our department Christmas party this year. I left early because my daughter, I was told she had a solo in a, in a, in, a, in C and she sings, she sings beautifully. She didn't have a solo. She sang an entire song by herself. Nobody, they didn't, they didn't tell me it like that. They said she had a solo, which I thought, ah, oh, she's got a 20-second solo. No, she sang an entire song by herself, a cappella, and, and, and with a piano. And so I was thankful that I had the capacity to leave my work Christmas party early and leave everybody behind and be comfortable with that. Uh, because that is what I that is relaxing to me. Yeah, yeah I, I feel the same way about with the kids. I also feel the same way about that. It's a good idea for a chief to leave a Christmas party early. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with that either. Yeah. Get there a little late and leave a little early. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, your book, No Exceptions Leadership. Um, I want to read one of your book reviews. Um, and and don't if somebody says to me, I want to read one of your book reviews to me, I'm like, I hope it's not the one that I think it is. I quit reading them. <laughs> Well, it's a good one. Uh, if you're a boss, you need to go through this book every 100 days. It will center you. 
I am a station captain and I find myself identifying with each page. It will get your mind right for taking care of your people, help you face the adversity of uh, bureaucracy and encourage yourself to become a better leader each day. And I was from a, a captain out in Prince William County, Virginia. Uh, Thank you. No, yeah, it's a good, it's a good one. It's a it's a good quote, and I and it, I think it says a lot about it. And uh, I I think um, uh, we should talk about what you just said. I stopped reading them. I don't think people understand that when you um, when you write a book, unless you've done this, or unless you have some kind of a business where, like teachers today, somebody a teacher, anybody can go online. I don't even know what the websites are yeah. or what the apps are, whatever it is, but they can go rate their teacher. And leave like scathingly bad or very positive remarks about their teacher, just like you can with businesses. And you don't even have to leave your name. I have way more good reviews than bad reviews on my books, but the bad ones are bad. Yeah. I mean, they are, it's like I feel like the person wants to hurt me. Yeah. Yeah. Through what they're writing. Yeah, it's like, right. uh, really, it, it doesn't feel like, oh, I just want to say, you know, it's not my type of book. Yeah. Uh, no, they're, they're, you know, I've, I've seen people write, this book is absolutely horrible. It was a waste of my time reading that kind of stuff. Yep. And and I read and I'm like, oh, man. Uh, and I don't know if it's still there, but on Amazon, I told the story at my FDIC keynote, there was a reply button for one of the reviews. I replied to a guy and apologized to him saying, I'm sorry, I didn't meet your expectations, but thank you for your feedback. Because unhappy customers are our greatest source for learning. He replied back. And next thing you know, we're communicating very friendly to each other. And he's like, we need more leaders like you in the world. I'm thinking, well, I guess I'm better in person than in writing. <laughs> yeah. But um, I wanted to give that review for your book. I also want to talk about um, what you uh, do, your company officer development class that you do online which is a great idea. I know you do it not just for company officers for different levels, but can you talk a little bit about this training that you offer online and how people can access it? Yeah, so it, it's I've been doing it a lot longer than I thought, but it started with the company officer level. And really what I what I was trying to accomplish was I, you know, I've I've never lost and and you know they always tell me you forget where you came from and that's a whole other discussion. But I've never I've never lost um what being a volunteer in a rural department did for me. I wouldn't be here without that. And, and and those folks just don't have the same access that somebody at my department has. It has a robust training budget and has basically everything at their beck and call that they could ever want and need uh, from a development and, and a training perspective. And then I also found um, that in the fire officer one and two curriculum, there are a lot of gaps as, as it relates to real world problems. Um, as a company officer, you know, there's, I like to tell people that if you're not willing to live in the gray area, you don't want to be an officer because there's very few things that are black and white as, as a leader and as an officer. And so I came up with this thing that, that uh, it, it's pretty basic stuff. I've added to it and adapted it over the years. And I pull in a lot of outside resources. I use a few TED talks. I use uh, articles from the Harvard Business Review. I use um, try to try to plug them in to not only just for for the class, but for them to know that they can go to these places and get more resources after they leave the program. 
And so uh, the company officer is six weeks now. I added a prevention module, which I need to clean up a little bit. But um, and I try to hit those things right and talk about you know, there's some mental health stuff. And and then I so that went pretty well. And it, it's pretty well. It's all pre-recorded, so there's no hard deadlines. There's not I, there's you know there's not really a grade. Uh, but I provide I try to provide feedback for their answers and and the things that they 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 uh, submit. Um, it's it's really it's quite a bit of work. And then I do a battalion chief development one because there was really nothing for that that first level of chief positions for training because it's either your operations or your staff. And I found a, a, a lack of when I became a battalion chief of where that middle ground is. And so I put that together and that's been popular. Uh, that one talks about complacency and it talks about so we take. We, we build upon what we do as a company officer and put in the battalion chief stuff, uh, line of duty death reports and different things. And then I did a, a battalion chief operational development one, which is about the operations and cogn cognition and recognition and decision-making and things like that are in there. And uh, then I did do a, a new fire chief one, which I don't run very often because it's got a very small audience, but I'll do it maybe once or twice a year. Um, and that's got, a, that's, that's a lot of work. There's a lot of reading. Um, and, uh, but I enjoy it. I, I like it. Um, I don't have to travel and, and I still get the, um, the satisfaction of hoping that I'm helping people. Um, and they get access to that content for at least a year. They can go back into, it's in Google classroom, so they can go back in there anytime they want and, and get back into that. And the, 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 there's a lot of discussion assignments that they discuss with the other classmates so that they're meeting people and, and, and everybody, and then what you see is everybody's got the same problems or very similar problems. Well, yes, I find that when I travel, when I teach is, is uh, I, I've got to the point where I tell people, you're going to think I work for your department in about 30 minutes. Yeah, right. Because I'm going to talk about challenges of the fire service and, and you're going to find it pretty common. Um, not too long ago, you and I were out in New Mexico. Yeah, it's great. And uh, what a great time with Rick Lasky. I mean, fun to sit in a panel with you guys. I want to talk about something that happened there that um, I find pretty interesting because we did this, you know, this panel open uh, right. just Q&A. A couple of great questions came in and then it started getting a little negative. People that weren't really, they didn't want to look for an answer, I felt like. They just wanted to complain about something to do with some of their coworkers, whether it be the people above them, the people below them in the rank structure. And I found that moment to be pretty interesting because I'm sitting there thinking you have, take me out of the equation, okay? You got you got two experienced chiefs. You got Jason and you got Rick. And and I think I could add something to it, but for sure you got, you got some good people on this panel right now. Don't use this time to complain. Use this time to really say, what can we do to fix this right. and listen, right? Listen hard. Yeah. Maybe that's the advice that, that uh, or the two words I could have thrown out there now that I know them is listen hard. Um, but do you find that sometimes when people come into your office or just talk to you in general, in all the, you know, the teaching that you do, that people sometimes aren't looking for an answer? They're just looking to vent? Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot. And um, I'm probably more accessible than maybe I should be, but I'll get phone calls from people I've, I've, I've met through, you know, my faith, the new fire officer, the Facebook page and, and all that. And, and I try to offer help, but a lot of them, they just, they just want to vent. 
and that's okay too. But yeah, it, you know, I go back to New Mexico, and I, you know, I, I remember what one of the questions was uh, about a hothead or something, right? And right. I was like, well, what makes that person a hothead? Why? Why? What's your definition of that? Because you're, you know, I just well, and by the way, when you said that, I thought that's brilliant. Because that that was the person stood up and said, "I work with this person, and he or she's a real hothead." And da 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 da. And we're kind of talking it, and you said, "Well, hold on, exactly what makes this person a hothead?" You're like, "You're you're you want more information?" Yeah, yeah. more information. And I think what a lot of people need to understand is this: um, when we're listening to them complain about someone they work with, we're also well aware that there's a second half to this story yeah Yeah. and because i like you i'm pretty accessible and i have some people reach out to me i had a person now that's that's on their they're moving into their third department oh wow and um you know volunteer firefighter i don't even know how you move into different volunteer fire departments i thought like if you worked in one area you can only work for that one but apparently where he was from it's like you know i have a choice i can go here or here and he's just yeah, he was complaining about the people that he worked with. Um, and I'm only getting his side of the story. And I'm not even giving tremendous amount of advice because I'm only getting that side of the story. Right. But, you know, we talk briefly months later. Hey, you know what? I just moved to this department and it's a lot better. I'm glad I made the transition. And I'm, my message back is, hey, I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm glad that it's working out. Three, four months later, I get another message. You know, it's the same here. And this is that, 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 that. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, well, we might want to look in a mirror at this point. <laughs> you know, because it's, yeah. being a travel baseball coach, you know, I just saw a meme. And it's a, it's a meme of a guy giving us look like, oh, now I get it. And the, and the quote is, uh, when you finally realize why that kid that keeps, when you meet the parents of that kid, um, who keeps going from team to team to team, and you finally realize why, you know, because you met the right. parents and you realize right. that they're, you know, a little bit uh, off sync. But um, yeah, I mean, I get that too. I'm, I'm accessible, and sometimes to a point where I wish maybe I had more time that I could get to everybody because I can't answer everything, at least not in the detail I want to. Right. But also, again, we're only getting your side of the story. And I've asked people on occasion, well, you know, if they really dig into the problem and and uh, I think it comes with what you said about sometimes we have to look in the mirror, myself included. Um, I can tell you that we just did some feedback in our organization and there was some feedback about me that was accurate and hard, hard to listen to. Um, And and we're going to work on those things. But sometimes you got to ask yourself, what what role do I have in this? What? What, what's my role in this or what is that person really a hothead or they, or do they just, or do, do we just have incompatible personalities? Are they, you know, or are they, are they left out of everything or you just don't know. And so sometimes you have to ask those people that I talk to or that you talk to, I just, I'll say, well, what, what do you think your role is in this? What's your, do you have any role at all? Is there anything you can do that's going to change that or that needs a change to help facilitate some of these other things? Yeah, I mean, listen, if there's a problem, there's a problem amongst multiple people. You're one of the people. What can you do? What can you control? Something we talk about, control the controllables. Control what you can control. 
don't focus on what you can't. I can't control that person's actions, but I can control mine. Yeah. And um, that feedback you got uh, that you said was kind of hard to swallow, a little bit negative. Uh, was that from the self-evaluation you sent out to ask them to evaluate you? No. So this was a, uh, I, I put down a, uh, I sent out a, a thing about silos. And it wasn't because we necessarily had a problem with it, but I just know that sometimes you end up getting these factions, right? And uh, I'd actually gone to a class that Tom Jenkins was teaching, talking about his department and the challenges that he had experienced. He's a much bigger department than me and Rogers, but in silos. And so I pulled some information down and I sent it out. And and then along with it, um, we're trying to like rebuild our officer development program and make it more consistent and, and all these things. And so I asked for, Hey, what do you what do you want to see? Um, you know, what what are your expectations of me of of the organization? And and so there were some people that gave some pretty candid feedback um, about what I wasn't doing and what I was doing and what I needed to do differently. And um, you know, it, I, I've learned. It's interesting because I you know. I, you know, when I was a battalion chief or even a first chief, it would have made my ears hot, right? And uh, I might not have reacted to it, but um, I, I took it for what it was. Um, I, and so we're making those changes and, and doing those things a little bit differently um, and more effort on my part in some areas. Um, but I can tell you that it's still, uh, I don't know if it's hurtful, but um a, a, a new awareness maybe that you know what it does is it grounds you it, it puts you back down or it puts your feet back down um you go out like you you go out and speak at all these places and they thank you and they buy you you know they do they treat you really well and then you come back home and you realize that hey i i'm still one cog in a huge wheel here um and i've got responsibilities that um, I'm not meeting according to some people. And so I need to fix that. And so I think it's a good way to get grounded, um, uh, but you can't get mad. Um, and no. it was ironic. No, you can't get mad. I, I wasn't mad at all. Um, disappointed in the way some of it was conveyed and disappointed in myself um, that they felt like some, I need to do something different. But at the end of the day, it's the only way you make things better, right? And so uh, we've put into place some things to to change and do things different. And hopefully the next time we send it out, there's fewer things that they uh, critique me on. You know, um, that's part of what I was talking about when I started this about you being kind of level-headed and grounded. Just the fact that you would ask that question, you know, about expectations from you uh, of you i know that you years ago sent out uh evaluations that people could anon anonymously evaluate you uh instead of you just and us always evaluating other people which i thought took a lot of courage um but also i'm a believer now of not believing your own press meaning this if someone says you're the greatest thing that ever happened in the organization and someone said you're the worst thing to ever happen in the organization, the truth is you're probably neither. Right. Hopefully you lean more towards the greatest. <laughs> you yeah, know, you do yeah, more yeah. good than bad. Yeah. <clears throat> but I've come to the realization that like out of fire, you could do everything right and things can still go wrong. Even if you did everything right yeah. in life, 
you can make all the right choices and things could still go wrong because the right choice for you and for the organization and for the community you serve may not be the right choice for that one individual. And that one individual can't put, you know, they don't understand the art of compromise. They don't understand the fact that we serve and we're problem solvers and we exist to serve these people. When some people are saying, no, you exist to serve me. You need to make me happy. And I've had this conversation uh, recently because I, I went out and I did a class out in Michigan. The mayor attended the class. And I can tell you, um, he was awesome. I mean, this guy was was really great. And at some point in the conversation, I don't even remember what led to me saying this. I said, let me just make one thing very clear. That man right there, because I had all the department heads, police, fire, you know, EMS, DPW, everybody. I said, that man right there, his job is not to make you happy. You want him to make you happy. He wants to make you happy, but that's not his job. His job is to serve the community. And in serving the community, he wants to give you everything you need. But at the end of the day, if all you're concerned about is we didn't get that 3% raise, when maybe he couldn't give it to you, but he wanted to. You can't hold, take it out on him and say, now we're not going to serve the community because this guy right here didn't give us what we want for, well, maybe he just couldn't at that time. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you could bring that down to every level. Like, uh, and I feel like I almost contradict something that I firmly believe in, which is the fire chief's job is to serve that community of firefighters. You know, I do believe that just like I believe you know, a, a, a general and a military's job is to serve their members because if they're not successful, the boots on the ground, if they're not successful, you're not going to win the battle, right. just like on a fire round. But at the same time, the people that make up that organization um, have to understand that, that there's a responsibility that comes with that. And if you're not given everything you want with that immediate gratification that this world has been so accustomed to now i want it i want it now or i'm moving on and i'm quitting well that's not how the world works here you know some things take time but that doesn't give you an excuse to not provide the best service possible for this community so there has to be this point where we say hey i might not like my chief but that's not going to affect the job that i'm doing and the performance that i give for this community. And the same thing going down, a chief may say, I don't like these particular individuals, but it's not gonna affect how I treat them. I'm going to give them everything they need to succeed. And again, hold people accountable in the process. Those are my thoughts on those topics. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you wanna share or elaborate on any of that, or if you yeah, agree or disagree. No, I no, I think it's right. And I, when I present, I talk a lot about loyalty to the mission and the position, um, because that's where you can you can personally not like the chief, but you've got to be loyal to the position, and especially if you're an officer, because this stuff is formal authority delegated to you from whoever's in that position. Yeah. And it may not be. It doesn't mean that if they're if they lack integrity and character, that's not you. What you do, you act with integrity and character in spite of that. But you can't just ignore the loyalty that's required to serve as a leader and as an officer in your in your organization because the mission depends on it and the people in your community depend on it. Awesome. 
Listen, this uh, I really appreciated this conversation. This particular episode, um, I don't, um, I don't have formal sponsors. Um, what I do is, is I give shout outs to people that support the program. I got to give a shout out to Taylor Tins. There you go. Uh, I want to give Taylor Tins. This is a, a, one of the quotes from uh, my book, Flashpoint. Uh, Taylor Tins has done a bunch of these little signs, take action. Um, and uh, that are based on quotes from the book. One of them is, I got it on my wall, never walk past the problem you could solve. Another one is it's time to step up and even sprinkles the fire dogs, some little ones for oh, kids. Cool. Yeah, I want to give a shout out to them before I, I ask um, uh, how people can get a hold of you. But I, I want to thank you uh, sincerely, man. And I don't mean just for coming on the show, uh, just for being a, a good friend. You're one of these people that when we talk about the brotherhood and the fire service, uh, I got those, you know, I feel like it, right now, it's probably somewhere around 20 strong of people th uh, throughout the country that I feel, man, if I have an issue, that's a person I can code that I can go to and uh, bounce some ideas off of them. And uh, and I feel very blessed to say it's about 20 strong uh, because before I started doing all this, I felt like it was maybe too strong, but you are one of them. And I want to thank you for for being that for me and and uh, being a, just a good friend and a, and very committed to the fire service. I appreciate you, but can you tell people how they can get a hold of you? Yeah, so email is my first initial and last name, H-O-E-V-E-L-M-A-N-N at gmail.com. The easiest way is probably through social media, um, Jason Hovelman on Facebook, or the new fire officer um, is also a really easy way to get a hold of me. And that's the Facebook page I started, gosh, I, um, 10 years ago. Maybe. Yeah, and by the way, I follow that page and I, sh I often share a lot of what you host on step up and lead which is interesting because um i i think i was thinking about this the other day when i shared something i think that you are probably the page that i share more from than any other page because i'll take stuff here and there yeah and share it but i see a lot of what you post i'm like you know what you're you're kind of triggering a thought in me that i could elaborate on or i'm just going to share what you put out there we'll yeah. start the conversation that way so you yeah. put great content out there so i hope people follow you Thank you. I appreciate it, Frank. And uh, I guess I will be seeing you around. Thank you again for coming on the show. Um, take care of uh, of the uh, that family of yours. I oh, love yeah. pictures. Oh, yeah. and, the pleasure has uh, been all mine, and I, I feel the same way about you, a dear friend, and helped me in so many ways, and and uh, always look forward to conversations with you. Well, well same here brother uh thanks again you have a great day i'll let you get back to work and uh serve that community but we'll talk to you soon all right take care save big on your memorial day barbecue all in the kroger app get half gallons of delicious kroger milk for 129 each then get flavorful tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for 249 a pound all with your card and a digital coupon Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.